Hey everybody, welcome to So I've Been Told. My name is Adam Kramer and I am your host. It is January 25th. Some of you that are listening in Pennsylvania uh, might still be covered in snow. We got some snow here in Rochester, but we didn't really get hit by Winter Storm Jonas the way that you all did. I was up last night watching the Royal Rumble. I've got a lot of things I could say about that, but this isn't a wrestling podcast. But you know what is a wrestling podcast? Shows from a hat. And that show is on our wonderful podcast network, the Podcast of Pennsylvania. It is a show hosted by Chris Decker, who runs our podcast network. Hey, Chris. Somebody I'd like to have on on the show to talk about his musical history and all that and just about podcasting in general. But we'll make it happen. We're on the same network. It's uh, not going to be too hard. But yeah, check out Shows from a Hat. It's on our Podbean page, obviously, and also on on iTunes in the Podcast of Pennsylvania feed. Now, the person we're going to talk to today is John W. Kiss III, JK3. He is one of my very best friends. We played in a band together. We lived together. We, you know, so we booked a lot of house shows together. Uh, just a really good, fun, interesting, weird dude. And uh, you know, he's also a wrestling fan. Just bringing it back around. But uh, we don't talk about that at all in this episode. We just talk about music and booking house shows. And it's a really super fun interview. So I hope you guys all enjoy it. I'll talk to you again at the end of the interview. But yeah, enjoy my conversation with John W. Kiss III. I'm glad to be on the show. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I actually, I just interviewed Blendy. And he's all right. he's around. He just stepped outside to smoke. Um, so he'll probably, uh-huh. he'll be, he'll be saying hi in a little bit. And he said he's going to try and uh, not talk too much to let us focus on the interview. Um, All right. But yeah, let's uh, let's get into it. Um, how did you first? What was your introduction to sort of punk or underground music? And how old were you? And you know, where where did that all begin for you? Oh, geez. <laughs> um, let me think. I was probably about uh, however old you are in middle school. That's probably about when I first started listening to or getting into punk rock um i didn't know too much about it before that i was i was very into uh rap and hip-hop at a very young age and uh and then i just somehow stumbled across some punk music and there was a friend of mine in middle school that um had asked me about what kind of music i liked and 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 i told him i liked punk and he was like, yeah, and he started listing off a bunch of names of bands that I never heard of. So uh, I looked into those. Some of those were like Dropkick Murphys and Minor Threat and stuff like that. And I looked into all those bands and was just like, yeah, no, this is actually exactly what I love. And just from there started started uh, expanding on that kind of style. Cool. So what before like that friend introduced you to... You know those those bands you mentioned, Minor Threat, Dropkick Murphys, which there's a there's a lot in between those bands. It's kind of funny that those are the two bands. Uh, but what were what were the bands that you knew before that point? Um, 
before he introduced me to those bands, uh, you know, I didn't, again, I was really young, so my, uh, I guess, interpretation of punk was just what I read about. So all I knew really was like, you know, Sex Pistols and Ramones um, and uh, a lot of those uh, classic first wave punk bands. That was that was kind of what I guess essentially introduced me as a punk. And then, like I said, that friend of mine, um, I can't remember his name. It was so long ago. But that friend of mine, you know, listed off a bunch of other bands that just created this whole big ricochet of looking into all the different subgenres of punk. You know. Cool. Now, what's uh, like how how were you find? I know you said reading. Where were you reading about? the Sex Pistols and the Ramones, you know, in middle school? Oh, man. Uh, In middle school, that would have been, you know, some of the earlier stages of the Internet. (laughs) Um, I'm pretty sure it was still dial-up Internet then, uh, (laughs) at least at my house. I I believe uh, it. What's up? I I said I believe it. Where I'm from, I didn't. I didn't get internet until I was, like, a senior in high school. Hi, John. Well, no, I guess okay. it's a little early. Hey. Lundy's here. Hey. <laughs> um, How you doing, Bernie? Oh, very good, Bernie. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I didn't get uh, dial-up internet until I was in high school, but I guess you were probably a little bit ahead of the curve there on Long Island. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think. Because, you know, uh, it's, it's hard to place exactly what, what year middle school was. Yeah, but I know that it was definitely uh, it was definitely through the internet, um, mm-hmm. whether it be at home or like even at the school library. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so how did you first get involved in the scene? What what were the first shows you went to, and and how did you get involved in actually playing and being in in the scene? You know, uh, that's a good question because I kind of got I guess for. For most people, I kind of got a late start into diving into my own uh, music and playing live shows and stuff like that. Um, when I lived on Long Island still, I was in high school still, uh, I wasn't involved in the music scene there at all, in any of the music scenes. There was one friend of mine that I had that was in a punk band and invited me to a show, and I went and had a good time, but it was like a super underground show and it was it was a lot of shitty bands yeah you don't remember so, the names of any of them I, I don't remember any of the okay. names and they were none of them were known bands they were all just a bunch of a bunch of punks that were making really shitty music but it was a lot of fun cool. um but even then uh you know i didn't i didn't really catch on to it until i went to college um and as you know, uh, when I went to college, that's when I met Stephen Haramis and Ward Yurden, and we all decided to start um, The Wear, which is also a shitty band, but was a lot of fun. Um, and even then, we still weren't really a big part of the music scene, probably until later, later, maybe a year later, being a band, because then that's when we started to... to play a couple of shows here and there actually in rochester new york um we played a bunch of shows at roberts wesleyan college but it wasn't until maybe a year being in the band that we started to play a couple of shows here and there in rochester okay 
Now I know I know. Uh, well, let me back it up a little bit. I, I did. I've heard and seen some video of of a band before the wear. So, what do you have to say about that? <laughs> You're talking about Orange Saturday. Yeah, I'm surprised I skipped that. Oh man, um, Orange Saturday was a band that I was in uh, right before I went to college. Um, it was it was I guess just like a contemporary rock band um a contemporary christian rock band and uh, we only played i want to say three or four shows one of them was a, a high school battle of the bands the other one the other two were at two different churches did, did um, you win the battle of the bands for like a no the battle of the bands was at a high school uh I forget what high school, but it was at a high school on Long Island, not the one that I went to. And then the uh, the other two or three shows were at a Lutheran church for like a youth group thing. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, tell me about the where. What, what were you guys about? What did you sound like for anybody who doesn't know? And has a, <laughs> just uh, tell about that because that that band is has reached an almost legendary status among certain people <laughs> notorious i know if you will. i know i know it's funny um uh, let's see the where I, I think the best way to describe it i'm pretty sure it was robbie alexander who said this um the where was the best worst thing ever i still have the um only copy of the dvd <laughs> well there, there are a couple of those around and i think there's actually uh are there a few yeah, there's there's a couple around, and that's actually on YouTube now. Which I'll, I'll uh, if that's okay with you, I'll I'll link the YouTube video to the uh, definitely you can definitely link it if you want. I don't feel so special anymore. <laughs> I thought that was the only one. <laughs> so you guys you guys met in college and and started to to play um, and kind of booked a lot of shows on your own there at uh, Roberts. Um, yeah, and that's I want to I want to talk about that because to me I think there is something really cool and really like punk rock about you just started booking shows because other people wouldn't book you, um, and kind of had a little bit of a scene there. So can you tell me about that scene that you guys developed yeah. there on that that campus? Yeah. Um, well, uh, as I said before. Um, the where was the best worst thing in this in the sense that it was uh, it was kind of started on a concept and an idea. Um, our friend Ward Ward Yurden and I uh, we were always joking about how in heavier music, more so like hardcore and metal, you can never understand um, the lyrics unless if you like actually sat there and read the booklet or whatever so we were like what what if we started a band that had absolutely no lyrics whatsoever and we just screamed random random thing and that's pretty much how the wear started and uh steven haramis heard that we wanted to start the band and he decided to come and talk with us about it uh at the time steve was doing his piano stuff so ward and i were like you you wouldn't fit in with this what are you talking about but then he uh he let us listen to a, b- a band he was in with his cousin called the uh, uh, Marion Crane, where he did vocals for, and we actually didn't believe it was him because it was just 
a lot of screaming, and we were like, that's not you. And he's like, no, it is, I swear. And that's kind of how it started, and, and we just we just did noise, and noise with a little bit of music, if you will. And uh, like you said, there were people that weren't booking us, so we started booking ourselves. We, we kind of inserted ourselves on campus. Um, there was a lot of people on the Roberts campus that hated us, just because of our music, they didn't like us. Um, which, when we when we first started doing what we were doing, we knew that there were people that weren't gonna enjoy the music, but we didn't know that we that it would go so far as for those people to deeply hate us with a passion as people. It was very it was very odd for us in that sense. Um, but yeah, we started booking shows there. We we uh, we became friends with a, a couple of people that were in. Um, the Rochester punk scene, uh, namely uh, Trevor Lake um, and uh, Sarah from Spoonful of Vicodin. Um, we became friends with those two people in particular and some of the guys from uh, Free For All. And we just started booking shows at Roberts on campus and created our own little uh, punk scene at Roberts Wesleyan. It, it lasted very short. Uh, because the college caught on to this um, probably, I want to say, four or five shows into it. They caught on to it and kind of kind of made it impossible for us to keep booking shows. They told us that we needed to be music students to book shows. Um, that was their excuse. So it was very short-lived, but when it, when it was running, um, I want to say around the, the second or third show that we booked it was starting to get some notoriety there were a couple of people there there was good bands playing um defects which is now flip shit uh like i said free for all was there i'm pretty sure radioactive snowshoe played condition oakland played there was a a, a couple of bands um that some exist still and some don't antithesis played there i know they don't exist anymore that band was amazing they were i i uh I just found their MySpace page recently. Yes, and I think I'm gonna I'm gonna play an antithesis song on on the podcast because they're oh you should they're they're good enough that people should know about them. <laughs>
guys, you guys did a lot of, you played a lot of shows as the where. Um, can you tell me about, and a lot of shows in, in Pennsylvania where I was living, can you tell me a little bit about, uh, talk a little bit about the connection between that, that scene and the scene you guys were kind of running in Robert, at Roberts and later on doing some shows at the Flying Squirrel and other things here in Rochester. Just talk about the connection. Well, uh, that's, uh, that's how you and I met is through the where, through Steve, mm-hmm. um, you were playing in Red Eyes for Blue Skies, and uh, the Ware came and played a show with you guys, and uh, I believe that was the show that was supposed to happen, but then turned out to be a Sweet Sixteen, and we all played anyway. And then the uh, the place that we were playing happens to also be the courthouse, so they the cops came downstairs and told the Ware to stop playing because it was disturbing the the court, which is pretty funny. Yeah, well, we had. Uh... Uh, we talked. I, I talked about that on the the new loaded words episode that I'm on. Oh, uh, okay. But yeah, that that was a pretty ridiculous story. And actually, I think I may have met you before that. Um, I think I booked you guys at the Donald Hyder Center and <laughs> without question played or something like that. And you guys all like camped. Oh, out. Oh, you're right. <laughs> you guys camped out in my grandparents' backyard. That's true. You're you're right about that. That is. Well, then I guess. Um... That's kind of where it all started then. That's where not only did we first meet, but that's where the Pennsylvania and Rochester connection started is, is probably there because, you know, Steve knew you and a bunch of bands from Pennsylvania, and you and Steve had your uh, Something Better Records label, um, that, and you guys were doing show trades basically between the Ware and and other PA bands. And yeah. we. You know, and uh, and then we started asking some Pennsylvania bands to come up and play at the college. And uh, I remember one band in particular that we consistently wanted to play in Rochester was Beer and Pretzels. And for some reason, every time we booked them, there was always some reason, like someone got into an accident or somebody's in the hospital. There was always some reason why they couldn't, or they had to cancel the show. Yeah. I remember that, and they're they're still a band. Uh, that that's insane. I, I'm hoping that uh, I know that Jay and Dan know know Chad a little bit better than I do, and uh, they've talked about doing an, uh, an interview with Loaded Words, and I'm really excited to hear that because I mean that band's <laughs> been together for you know well over a decade at this point, so they've got some some yeah. serious history. But, yeah, for sure, they got some stories to tell. Yeah. And uh, that's where you guys met Condition Oakland and Tyler, and I guess already gone played up here before, before Condition Oakland was before Condition Oakland. Yeah, um, yeah, already gone was my first introduction to Tyler Troutman, which uh, you know now Tyler Troutman's one of my best friends, as as you guys are. And, um, every time I get a chance to see him play or maybe even book him, you know, I try to do as best as I can, and we love uh, hanging out with each other. Weird. Now, what, uh, what came next after the where?
Sheesh. Well, as you as you know, but not everyone knows. Um, yeah, I, I know all I know all your stories. Talk I just about vomitous society. Well, we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's still some in between before vomitous society. That's mm. that's what I was getting at. Um. Steve and I were roommates in college, uh, and we would get bored at college because Robert sucks. Anybody who listens to this and thinks is thinking about going to Robert's Wesleyan College, don't do it. It's a shitty college. They'll scam you out of your money. Uh, anyway, uh, to continue, we were bored on campus all the time, and uh, we, we were like, oh, what do you want to do? So we would just record music. We would record stupid shit. We would record serious shit. We would we would just record all the time, and, and that spawned a, a bunch of different projects, some good, some bad, some dumb. I don't know. There was a bunch of stuff. But uh, the, the, the realistic project after the wear was the Dignitaries, which was, um, it was a, an anarcho-Christian hardcore punk band. Um, it was very short-lived. And it was it, it was interesting because that was a band that um, Steve and I actually like played at at a like a rock core house show. Um, I think it was on a show with Spoonful of Vicodin. So it was really interesting to play for a crowd of a bunch of atheists, pissed off punks, and we're sitting there doing a, a cover of this little light of mine. You know, a lot of people. <laughs> A lot of people hated it. <laughs> yeah, what uh, what house was that at? Or do you um, let me think now. It's one that doesn't exist anymore. Um, the Vermin Lair, that's what it was. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, that's... Um, yeah. Uh, Hayward. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That house came up in the interview with, with uh, Sir Glendy as well. Oh, of course, yeah, of course. I didn't, I, I, I didn't know Glendy at the time, but uh, the first time I ever saw Glendy was at the, uh, the Meow House. No, man. What? <laughs> That's not when you first saw me. Um, oh, what? When Monroe, was it? Monroe Avenue. Me and hmm? me and a member of Infernal Abyss, Jared, we were walking down Monroe Avenue, and you pulled up in a really like terrifying vehicle. And you handed us a, a, a flyer on Monroe Ave where um, Texas Blues Barbecue is now. That's when, <laughs> that's, that's when I first saw you ever, dude. Okay. All right, there like you go. 2009. That's hilarious. It is. So the Dignitaries, you guys played some shows. Um, what happened with that band? It just kind of died out. Steve and I were, I don't know, we were, we were just uh, trying to see the Dignitaries was just Steve and I. And we wanted to do something that was more than just a two-piece. So I think after a little while, we just fizzled out of the dignitaries and we're like, we need to try to do something else. And on top of that, I think um, we both were realizing that a lot of the Christian stuff that were, that were in the lyrics of that band, we weren't, we, we weren't really aligned with it anymore. So I think that's a big reason, too, is... We were both kind of going through a whole, hey, I'm not really a Christian anymore. I don't know if I should play Christian music, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, for me personally, I think it was a thing where, like, I still didn't realize that I wasn't a Christian yet. 
You know what I mean? Like, I still thought I was a Christian, but I, looking back at it, I can see that I definitely wasn't anymore. And that's why we kind of went a different way. And I think that's what kind of segues into uh, Vomitous Society. But right before Vomitous Society, we were, actually, I should say simultaneously with Vomitous Society, we were in a very, very, very short-lived band, ska band called Baba Ganoush. (laughs) (laughs) As a... Yeah, because I remember I, I had booked you guys, and it was on, on the same show. And did uh, did Baba Ganoush ever have anything recorded, any videos? or I, I don't know if I ever saw or no. heard anything. <laughs> no, we had nothing. All we had was, like, maybe, I think, four songs. And uh, that show that we played in Bloomsburg is the only show we ever played. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, there was this guy... Uh, I don't even, I, I couldn't even tell you how we knew him, but there was this guy named Gabe that was in the band, and he uh, he was just a very weird guy, and I mean, we're weird too, but he was weird in a different way, and he just didn't, I, I, I really think he, he couldn't take all the swearing, to be honest, he was, he was like a very Christian person, and I, I don't think he could take all the swearing that we said. <laughs> so that and that was the only time you guys played was that one show not even in your hometown so that's pretty funny um, that is very funny now tell me about vomitous society i mean that's uh it's not a band <laughs> that gets talked about a lot for for a lot of reasons but uh how, how did that get started and, and just what uh what was that band what did you sound like and go into as much detail as you want about that band. <clears throat> well basically um you know as i said before with uh, the dignitaries steve and i were like we want to do something that's not two-piece we want to do something new uh, let's get away from let's get away from these christian themed lyrics let's do something a little bit i don't know a little bit uh deeper in lyrical content maybe a little bit more political mm-hmm. and uh that's kind of how Volunteer Society started. Uh, ironically, it started out as just a two-piece, because it was just me and Steve again. Uh, he was playing drums, I was playing guitar, and we we went into our friend's basement and just jammed a little bit. And we we were jamming on some really cool, uh, like, power-violent-sounding music. It sounded really cool, and, and we were really happy with what we were coming up with. And we were thinking to ourselves, we need... We need a vocalist and a bassist. Um, We happened to know this guy at Roberts Wesleyan College, Ryan Jeffrey. And so we we asked him if he wanted to do vocals. I don't know what possessed us to ask him. Like, we didn't know if he knew how to... Oh, I think I lost you. Hey, uh... Hello. I lost you. Anyway, we're back. Hey. Lost you there. Yeah. Um, one, okay, I'm back. Yeah, so we got Ryan Jeffrey, and and I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. He wasn't the greatest of, of people. He would call people out at shows, and uh, he would he would just act like a bro, which was weird because he, he wasn't a bro, but he would act like a bro. It was weird. He would call people assholes and, and cunts and stuff like that. So so that's why Vomitous Society was very short-lived. And on top of that, he wasn't even that good of a vocalist. So, you know, Steve and I were just like, yeah, we're, we're not, we're done with this. It was a very hostile band, too. The fact that um, we would get really mad at Ryan. I remember the last show that we had with Vomitous Society, like, we got into a huge fight. It was at Tyler's old house. Greenleaf. Uh, 
yeah, the green leaf, we got into like a really huge fight and I just like blew up on Ryan and and after that it it was done. We 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 played the show and we're like, We're done with this shit and we were done. Yeah, I remember like Steve like wrecked his drum kit afterwards and his snare broke and he like I I think he put fireworks inside of it or something like that on the on the street yeah. outside of Tyler's house. Yeah, that that was fun to watch. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so that was the end of Vominous Society, and then I, in right after that ended, I moved to Rochester, and uh, tell me about Endangered Youth, which, I mean, I know all about it, and most of the <laughs> listenership probably knows a fair amount, but I, I, you know, I know I do. I want to, you know, get your take on how that all started, and... Oy. Oh, man, you know, there's so much, there's so much. Um, Endangered Youth, it was, it was talked about for a long time before it became a thing. Before, well before you moved to Rochester, uh, you and Steve were talking about the possibility of being in a band and all this stuff, and you had the name of it, Endangered Youth, and and I was like, that's a cool name, and we were all really excited when you moved, because we were like, oh, we could start Endangered Youth, this could be awesome, you know, and uh, you moved in with me, we moved into the Meat Grinder, or what would later become the Meat Grinder, I guess, and... uh, I remember at art night the the first first time Steve wanted to <laughs> first time Steve wanted to teach me some of the songs for Endangered Youth. I'm sure you remember this as well. Mm-hmm. It was like the simplest song ever, the simplest song. And he's he's showing me on guitar. He's like, "This is how you play it." And then I was like trying to play it, and I was like, "I can't do it. I'm not playing bass. Fuck this. I can't do it. This is shitty. I'll never be able to do it." And and Steve was just like, John, this is really simple. You, you could do this. Don't worry about it. And then it's just funny to think of how that was like a really simple song. It was, um, uh, we're not getting any younger. It was that song. Really simple song. And, and, you know, through the years, I was able to get way better at bass and play a much harder song um, that that band created and, and that other bands ever uh, after that have created. Yeah. So. It was just funny to think that I I could I thought I could never play such a simple song. <laughs> now, uh, before we met Josh Richards, who would become the he was the first guitarist of that band. We had some uh, some adventures with uh, trying out some some people on guitar, um, <laughs> and I don't think that's any of these stories have been told on um, you know my interview with Lo- Loaded Words or you know any of the other interviews. And we touched on it a little bit with Joey. Yeah, I was going to say, did Ryan's own, like, want to... Yeah. Didn't he, like, show up one day or something? Yeah, but you can, if you want to tell some of those stories, that uh, that stuff hasn't been shared yet. Yeah, I just remember specifically a guy from RIT. I don't even, I don't even remember what the guy's actual name was, but he called himself (laughs) (laughs) D-Flips. Shout out to D-Flips. I don't even know. D-Flips, I love you, man, wherever you are. Um, he, he he replied to the, to the Craigslist ad that Steve had made, and he was like, yeah, I want to I wanna see what you guys are like, this, that, and the other thing. So we went over to RIT, to his dorm room, and 
he had uh if i remember correctly he had like a keyboard and kind of like this little cool little like music setup in his dorm for him to be able to like record his own music and i remember he was asking us questions like oh so what what kind of music you playing and and what are some of the songs and this and that and we were just telling we were telling him straight up like you know hardcore band uh here's some of our songs i remember steve playing him a couple of riffs of our songs and and the kid was just like you know you know you really got to be prepared you know you got to play covers so that you could get better at playing music and you got to do all this stuff and i'm d flips and i i play music and record music and i'm really good and, and you gotta play covers <laughs> i mean that's basically all i remember about the guy <laughs> chasing that paper Hashtag and we just, uh, I just remember we, we automatically, uh, we kind of all gave each other that look. We left and got in the car and we're like, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you know, tell me about kind of the rest of the story of Endangered Youth. Like I said, I've already kind of shared my perspective on that, on the Loaded Words interview. Um, so I just kind of yeah. want to hear your, your version of the story and kind of, the story of endangered youth and the meat grinder, um, because they're kind of, you know, hand in hand throughout the whole thing. Yeah, you know, endangered youth was uh, a very um, a very dysfunctional band, if you will. Um, as far as music and practicing goes, we were very organized in that sense. But as far as like interpersonal band relationships, we were very, uh, very disgruntled towards each other at times you know someone you know maybe steve would be pissed off at eric or i would be pissed off at adam or or adam would be pissed off at steve it was there was never really a time where we were all kind of <laughs> peaceful towards each other there was always some sort of bickering somewhere you know and um that kind of you know that kind of took its toll on the band and and personal friendships within the band so we had our our if you will our first run and then we broke up and we were legitimately broken up i remember the the first time that endangered youth broke up i was i don't know i was sad by it because uh i personally thought that that band had the potential to you know be a full-time let's go tour let's do this let's do that let's quit our day jobs eventually kind of a band. So I was very sad by it when it first broke up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whatever happens. Uh, I guess to back up a little bit, I should talk a little bit about the Meat Grinder, too. Um, yeah. And, and also um, tell, tell the listeners about um, the releases that we put out as Endangered Youth. Well, we had, a, we had a demo, I guess two demos that we made in a sense. Um, we had a, a Stand Your Ground EP that we just made ourselves, um, and we, it only had three songs on it, and we, we burned some somewhere around like 500 copies of them, and we just passed them all around Rochester. Pretty sure we probably even gave a couple out to people in, in uh, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. uh, so those were floating around for a little while because we made so many of them and around the same time that we made that ep demo thing uh we had recorded two yeah two songs for well technically we recorded three songs for the pirate ep split with condition oakland and um 
kaleidoscopes, but only two of them made it on the uh, on the EP slash split. And I don't know how many of the, how many of those were made. Uh, but yeah, we were. I think we were selling those for like a dollar or something like that. Mm. And uh, so those were our like early demo releases, and then we started working on um, the Furtherance album. Uh, it was. And it was exciting because it was the first time uh, doing an album. See, I, I had made a lot of music with Steve, but we never were able to record live drumming. So when we, so when Endangered Youth started working on Furtherance, it was the first time that we had an actual like professional recording guy come and do recording for us. We didn't go to the studio that he worked at, we went to his, his house, his, his own home studio, but it was still exciting because it was the first time that we had real drums in a recording. It was the first time that um, that we got the experience of real studio recording, you know, mm-hmm. and that was released, what, in February? February March? of 2012. What? February of 2012. There you go, February 2012. So that's three, three years, four, four years ago, something like that. Yeah. So you know, um, and that, but that 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 project took a, a lot of time, and there are still some things about it that some of us dislike and like, you know. Um, but it's still what it is, and it's still amazing to think about the the energy and time that was put into it, and the end product that came out. Yeah, I, personally, I'm super proud of you know, what we, what we made, um, with that record. And if you're interested, you can find that on, on Bandcamp. It's a free download saying this for the listeners, not for you, John, cause I know you already know this, <laughs> but yeah, we, we did that. Now what, what happened? Uh, yeah, you can back it up and talk about the meat grinder and then, then we'll talk about the, the reform, the reforming and, and beyond. Yeah. And cheek and the wolves. Yeah. Hey, hey. Thank you, Bernie. Thank you, Bernie. Um, so the Meat Grinder, uh, you know, the Meat Grinder had its, uh, its eras, if you will, you know, because uh, we had uh, Josh Richards was playing guitar for Endangered Youth, but he was also living with us at the Meat Grinder for a short period of time. And Endangered Youth did uh, band practice in the Meat Grinder basement i just remember when we when we first went and ventured into the basement at that apartment we ventured into the basement and we saw there was just shit everywhere just a bunch of garbage all over the place there was bikes left over from from past residents there was a fucking couch down there that was nasty and dirty there were a bunch of hip-hop records that we thought were potentially left by some homeless guy i don't even know i remember we took those hip-hop records and we we kept them for ourselves we took that couch and we just destroyed it and threw it in a smaller room the destroyed version of it (laughs) and then i think it was i think it was adam i know steve was with with us i think but i think it was adam who was like this would be a really cool place to throw shows that would be really cool and we were just like hell yeah that would be cool. <laughs> so that's kind of where that idea came from. And, 
and then we just kind of went with it and started throwing shows there. And there and were a lot of shows. In, excuse me? There were a lot of shows. There was definitely, sometimes there were a lot more shows than there should have even been. Yeah. Like those times when we didn't communicate with each other and there was like three shows in one week and our neighbors were like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Yeah, with also bands practicing and um, yeah, exactly. That wasn't that wasn't you and I. The 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 communication issue was for the uh, record. It was, it was me. <laughs> yeah, some of, some of it was Glendy. Some of it was was another another person that lived there. But yeah, there, there was a lot of activity in that basement. Yeah, the apartment in general. I know a lot of. I know that you've talked about this in your other episode i think with joey and avery but you know a lot of people that came to the shows at the meat grinder some of the like regular people would come and hang out at the apartment on days that we didn't have shows and just hang out and it was always fun but sometimes it would get a little rowdy you know mm-hmm. but yeah it was it was we it was fun to be a part of and be a creative person in a community of people that was involved in art and music. It was nice to to see the people that came. It was nice to share ideas with the people that came. It was nice to listen to the bands that went through. It was it was nice to to see a Josh Strauss show featuring his friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was a good time. It was. What were it was it was. A, it was a good time, but it was equally a bad time, you know what I mean? Because it started to go downhill, but at the same time, a lot of people involved, including myself, you know, we were we were young adults, so we were going through those weird um, positions in life where we were just pissed off at the world and depressed all the time, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was, it was an interesting way to cope with uh, with growing up and learning how to be responsible and paying bills and paying rent yeah now and uh, holding holding relationships together too uh not just not even romantic relationships just uh friendships and stuff like that now uh you know before we move on from the meat grinder conversation um on a positive note let's let's uh what were some of your favorite shows that happened there and and, and or just favorite you know things that happen there in general <sighs> you know um the good times and the bad times i love it all i really do i really do because i learned a lot from just everything that happened there i'm so surprised that we got away with the shit that we got away with there man it was insane some of the shit that went on at that house one of my favorite shows was actually the uh, the Colin Bourne show. I'm pretty sure that was the... He, he booked a couple of different bands, and I remember that was the first show that I saw with Such Reckless Children, I believe. And uh, I remember we didn't really know too much about Colin. We just knew he was this eccentric dude. And I remember seeing uh, Such Reckless Children play and watching uh, Colin play drums, and I was just like, holy shit, this dude is fucking awesome at drums. What the hell? You would never expect it, you know? Yeah, it was cool. Um, Such Reckless Children had a big part in, like, all the fun we had there. Uh, unbeknownst to us at the time, but... Yeah, yeah. One of my uh, one of my other... I'm trying to think of some of the other shows that went on there, or even just things 
the big uh, um, the big kicker for Meat Grinder was definitely um, the Mischief Brew Show. Oh yeah, I mean that's what. Yeah, for sure. That's what uh, made people know what the Meat Grinder was, basically. Exactly. Put it on the map, if you will. Um, that was yeah. actually the first time I personally, before I'm, well before I moved in, uh, it's uh, my first experience. So that was that was really fun. That like like I said, definitely put it on the map. Yeah, definitely. I remember uh, when we were asked if we could host that show or, or whatever you want to call it. Um, we made, like, a Facebook event for it, and there was somewhere around, like, a hundred or so people that said they were coming to the show, and we were like, eh, it's just Facebook, no, that that's not a real representation of how many people are gonna come to a show, and then the show came, and there was a fucking line out the door, down the fucking street, we were like, what the fuck is going on over here? From Buffalo, <laughs> and even Syracuse, and Ithaca were even present, and that was... What's that- up? And uh, that that was really Casey Sanders doing. He put that show together and promoted it. And he's he's somebody that is on the short list of people that I I like definitely need to have on the show soon. And we've talked about it. It's going to happen sometime soon. I agree. Yeah. So what? Tell. Let's pick up at the end of the meat grinder, the end of endangered youth, uh, and you know what happened from that point on in your life musically. Well, wait. I need to. I was just thinking of a meat grinder story. Oh, okay, yeah. I mean, keep keep going. Come on, lay it on. All right. Uh, so uh, I remember. Um, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get down and dirty now. I'm gonna tell you guys some of my some of my dirty secrets. Well, you guys know them, but the Damn listeners right. might not. Um, Is it confessions I'm time, Johnny? Yeah, confessions here. <laughs> it's it's funny. I know you listened to the episode with uh, with Dan Kushner. He was telling me that he felt very confessional while I interviewed yeah. him as well. So <laughs> it's true. It's true. You're you're just that type of person. <laughs> anyway, continue. Yeah, um, I remember this one one part of living at the meat grinder, and there was like this party going on at the meat grinder. And I can't remember if if uh, it was either it was either when Glendy was still living there or like right after he had moved out. I really can't remember. But um, I was in the I was in the basement, and um, I was huffing spray paint. Yeah, I was still there. <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. No, I was in the basement and I was I was being a, a dumbass and I was huffing spray paint. <laughs> don't ever, don't ever, don't ever fucking do that shit. That's fucking dumb. You feel like the fucking scum of the earth when you do that kind of shit. Because you so are. I was huffing spray right. paint. <laughs> and uh, Josh Strauss was kind of in the background of the basement and saw me doing this, and I just noticed that he was looking at me oddly. So I turned around and I was like, I'm sorry, man. I'm just, I'm just going through a thing. And then he's like, no, it's all good. And he came over and joined me. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and then we went back upstairs and uh, there was someone in Adam's room who was on the phone with Josh, Josh's girlfriend at the time. Oh, no, this is, this was my birthday party, wasn't it? Something I don't know what it was. It was, it was his sometime. birthday. I had, I had left for the night and things got. Yeah, weird. Adam wasn't there, and so someone someone was in Adam's room on the phone with Josh 
Joshua Strauss's girlfriend at the time, and she was just on the phone, pants down. Is this the Hey Bong Slave? Is this and, Hey Bong uh, Slave? Yeah. <laughs> and Josh is Josh is filming this, and he's just like, I think she's having phone sex with my girlfriend. And I was just like, okay. And I was like, you know, like fucked up from huffing spray paint, so I just walked out. And then I noticed people in the living room were about to, like, smoke a bowl of weed. So in my, like, still crazy, like, altered state, I was like, hey, you can't smoke this in here. And then right after I said that, I proceeded to light up the bowl and take a hit. (laughs) And I don't remember that. I don't really remember that. Somebody told me that that's what I did, and I was like, holy shit, I was really fucked up. <laughs> Confessions with John W. Kiss Third. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and and Adam Adam came home to, to cigarette ash on his pillow. I did. <laughs> but anyway, uh, <laughs> that's my little, my little Meek Rander confession. Word. More of a known fact. <laughs> oh, by the way, Bernie, happy birthday. Thank you, Bernie. Yeah, happy birthday, Adam. Welcome, Bernie. It's, uh, I've been having a good day. Like I said, this is interview number two of the day. Um, yeah. So it's just been, uh, we've been having a couple drinks and just hanging out with Glendy and now hanging out with you over the over the internets. So uh, uh-huh. so it's, it's been a good day. I'm going to have dinner with some friends later, and that's that's uh, that's that. It, that's that. That sounds like... That sounds like a really fucking awesome birthday. Yeah. Hey, um, one uh, one meat grinder memory that I can uh, throw out there to use as a segue, John. Uh, okay. The first time I had you pull a bass amp into the living room, and uh, I showed you the first written ever Cheek and the Wolf song when I was uh, prospecting that idea to you. Thank you, Bernie. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, so, so since, yeah, we're segueing into Chicken the Wolves, um, oh man, how do I even begin this? I mean, that's a good segue, and I'm going to get into that. I, I but I know that, what's when up? I started talking about Chicken the Wolves earlier, because that was definitely the inspiration behind starting the band. Yeah. Besides wanting to hold on to surf rock and do something with that. Yeah, actually, I remember, um... You and I went into the basement uh, at one point. This is this is before Cheek and the Wolves, and when it was still just an idea. Yeah, it was still just an idea. You were you were playing drums and I was playing guitar and we were jamming and That's we were right, trying to just yeah. make like straight up punk songs. Yeah, like uh, and, um, we were trying to like emulate the sound of like adolescence or JFA, just like real raw skate. Like early '90s, late '80s skate punk. Yeah, yeah, and and we were just jamming, and we were doing that. It sounded cool, and um, but then nothing really came of it. And then it was, I want to say, a few months later that you came to me again with what you just said about bringing the bass amp into the living room and started showing me um, what you were writing and working on. Because you were like, I, I just want to play surf, man. And I was just like, yeah, dude, I'm feeling that. I'm feeling that. Let's do it. And you showed me a song, which now happens to be uh, Boogie Woogie 
However you say it. <laughs> boogie woogie boogie, boogie woogie banshee or whatever. I don't whatever. know. I'm what, sorry. What, I don't know the name Carl own song. One. Yeah, the the first track on the album. Yeah. Anyway, uh, you you showed me that and you showed me how to play like the bass or what or what direction I should go with like bass with that kind of song and I was like, dude, this is really cool. Yes, we should totally do this. Let's fucking do surf. And we still didn't really have a name for it. And um, and then somehow we convinced Steph. Right, it was a meat grinder show uh, that the Love Tunnels played at. Yeah. Um, it was that show that uh, Veracult, it was our like debut Veracult show with the new lineup. And Love Tunnels played after us. And, and that's when we were throwing these ideas around. And, and we are like... Yo, Steph plays drums. Steph uh, should definitely be a prospect for this, and so we talked to her that night. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and she, I don't know if you noticed, but she seemed like she was a little bit un. Oh, yeah. Oh, we lost him again. We'll, uh, there, John. I don't know. Either way, I can edit this all. No, it's a- Hello. Hello. All right, we're back. So she was uncomfortable, you were saying. Um, she seemed to be uncomfortable. Yeah, uh, she she seemed she seemed like she was sort of uncomfortable, but she was just like, okay, we can figure something out. And then I think it was like two, three weeks later, we all got together in uh, the St. Paul building right. and uh, uh, started jamming on some Cheek in the Wolves. But we didn't. We were. We still didn't really have a name for it. Um, no. And then we all kind of decided on Sex Wax. That yeah, was right. First. I was gonna say, do you remember like the first couple names we threw out there? Sex Wax. <laughs> Just yep. uh, that yep. uh, for the listeners. That was that's actually a, a surf reference. Uh, sex Wax is a brand of surfboard wax. Yes. Yes. That's true. That and that's why we were like, hey, maybe Sex Wax would work, but. Uh, was I don't even remember. What? Wasn't there a band already with that name? Maybe that's what it was. Maybe that's why we decided to change it again. I think that's what it was. Something to that extent. There was something like that. Yeah, it was a stupid name. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and what wasn't the working title for the band when you guys were trying to play, just play punk stuff? Wasn't that Scaby Babies? No, that was <laughs> that was no, that was Joe, Joey Lanzone and John. Okay, yeah. Scaby Babies <laughs> was supposed to be some weird like power violence band between Joey Lanzone and I, but nothing ever came of it. Um, I I can't remember what was the name that we had when we were doing the punk stuff potentially. Oh, just you and me with me on drums. Yeah. No, it's on the tip of my tongue, but I'm not going to remember. At least I'm going to wake up in the middle of the night tonight and, like, gasp. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, same with me. Right. Well, when you think of it, text me so I can put it in the, you know, let everybody know at the end of the episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'll let you know. I so, have pictures of us practicing, too. Somebody took pictures of us, like, doing that. Cool. Um, okay, so now this is, like, this is, that's towards the end of the meat grinder. Yeah. Um, before we move on for the meat grinder, totally, 
Uh, we touched on it some with Joey. I, I'm assuming you listened to the episode from what you've said. Um, yes. But, do you want to add anything to what was said about some of those uh, random side projects that happened there towards the end? Yeah, sure. Um, it was it was it was interesting to say the least. It was interesting to see, you know, uh, towards the end of the meat grinder, there was a lot of um, a lot of uh, animosity between a lot of people. But even even within that um, hostile atmosphere all of our friends were still getting together and trying to make something of it and make music and be uh, happy with each other in a way. Um, I, I, I enjoyed playing um, in pornographic images. That was a lot of fun. Um, I remember one show that we played, which I think we only played like two shows, uh, but one show that we played, I was just like, I want to cry during the set. I just want to cry. So the entire time I played, I was trying to force myself to cry, but I, I just couldn't, unfortunately. But that's the kind of music that pornographic images was. It was like so powerful that you could just feel, even though there there wasn't really any like distinctive lyrics or anything like that, it just felt very sad, you know. Yeah. Kind of along those same lines, bringing it back to endangered youth. Um, what was? Uh, t- tell me about that. What what we thought was going to be the last show. Um, let's talk about that. Or those last like two shows in the meat grinder before we, you know, quit the first time. Let's uh, you know tell me about those. Um. The last two shows, what was the one before the last one, if you remind me? Uh, the one before that one was Keaton and Uncle Joel's Comb, as well as Left at Home. I think they had changed the name from Malaria to Left at Home at that point. And the reason I thought of that one is because <laughs> the whole Endangered Youth set, I just remember, like, there were tears in my eyes the whole time. The 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 final show if you will i mean i i felt emotional but i it wasn't the same as what it was at the second to last show that's just what made me think of that okay i i understand i do remember that show the second to last show um i had a i had a a really good time at that show uh if i remember now um it was uh i mean the whole show in general was really good i mean i'm not personally not like a huge fan of keaton um but i enjoy watching other people make music so even though i don't necessarily like their music i love them as people and i love that they're creating music if they mm-hmm. still are i don't know if they're still together or not but they are i just saw uh, them play i remember with the okay <laughs> i remember that show to me was a lot of fun and playing uh Playing in that show, I do remember a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people that we've seen throughout the music scene coming to Endangered Youth and Meat Grinder shows were at that show, and and it, it felt like a good family time, if you will. Uh, Fun fact, John. What's up? Fun fact. Um, a current member of Keaton was a former member of uh, Virulent Rock. You'll have to listen to my interview on the podcast here today. If you don't know 
I'll definitely have to listen to it. Yeah. That, but yeah, that second to last show was really, really uh, powerful. I think for me personally, though, I felt more, uh, I guess, more of the impact at the last show or what we thought was going to be the last show. Um, there was a lot of people at that show. It was, it, it felt very, it felt very like, I want to say this. I really do. I want to say this without sounding cocky, but it felt really cool to hear a shit ton of people singing the lyrics to songs that, that, that we were playing. You know what I mean? Um, it was, it was a good time. It was a really good time and very sad, but, but not at the same time because we, I really think that we did it justice the way that we went out. We were just like, hey, we're breaking up. Let's have the show. Everybody comes. Good time. You know what I mean? I'm here. You're here. <laughs> yeah. Now, I mean, I, I, I don't know if you listened to my Loaded Words interview yet. It just went up yesterday. Uh, but I talked I have, about this. I have not yet. Okay. But anyway, let's uh, tell, the, tell the world about how uh, our friendship was saved. Okay, yeah. And then, and um, then, and then tell everybody, and then get from there, go to in, into um, us reforming and all that. Okay, uh, well, I'll, I'll talk about um, what happened with us, then I'll talk a little bit more about Cheek and the Wolves, and then yeah, I'll that was, the re- Reformation. That was all kind of a, the Cheek and the Wolves was happening around that same time, it all kind of overlaps yeah, yeah, it does. It really does. Um, so you know, uh, living living at the meat grinder and being in a in a band, um, Adam and I were living and in a band together. And we, on top of that, we worked at the same job. So we saw each other all the fucking time, every day, twenty four fucking seven. We were pretty much sick of each other. <laughs> that's that's um, true. <laughs> <laughs> what'd you say i just said that's true yeah so you know being being in a band together and all this other stuff together and seeing each other for forever we were we were getting on each other's nerves um we didn't see eye to eye with some of the things that were going on with like ending the meat grinder i i wanted it to continue um him and steve wanted it to end and uh in 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 the end, you know, I had to move out, and the meat grinder was no more. So Adam and I weren't weren't really talking to each other for a little while after the meat grinder was done. I mean, even even Steve and I, I think too, uh, you know, we didn't talk for just a little bit. But what happened was, uh, our friend Ted Hazard was in town. He was going to play a show at the at Monty's Crown, and this was, I, I don't know, I want to say two three weeks after the whole end of the meat grinder and stuff. I come walking down to Money's Crown and uh, Ted's there talking to Adam. And like as soon as soon as like Adam and I realized that we're in the same place, which we knew was going to happen anyway, but as soon as we realized, we both kind of like were just like, mm. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then Ted Hazard was just like, no, you two need to love each other. And he, he grabbed both our heads and, like, hit them together. And, and we were both just kind of like, Bernie, and we hugged each other. Uh. <laughs> and that's how our friendship was saved from good old Ted Hazard. And as you were saying, simultaneously, I was uh, playing in Cheek in the Walls with Eric Glendy. Hey, how you doing? 
Uh, Idon and uh, Stephanie Hellinger. Is that how you say it? Yeah, something like that. Stephanie Ann. We'll Stephanie say Stephanie Ann. Ann. <laughs> Go by the uh, unofficial government Facebook name. <laughs> um, basically, uh, Chica and the Wolves started pretty much right after Endangered Youth Disband. And uh, we we were playing and practicing together for a little bit before we decided to actually play a show. Um, except we did do kind of like a little showcase debut um, at the last Meat Grinder show ever, where we were still called Sex Wax, yeah, and uh, we got some like, pretty pretty like... positive reviews, if you will, um, yeah, just was, from yeah. that little showcase. I think we only played maybe like four songs. How I saw a lot of no, people... it was two songs, John. Uh, it was pretty much um, kind of releasing a demo. It was it was a sneak preview. Because we felt yeah. so confident in what we were doing. Like, it was so much fun for us already. It was like a demo that we released, but it was live. There was no... Yeah, no, that's true. That's you know, true. Yeah, and a lot of people were digging minutes. it, so we, we felt happy about it, you know? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh, I remember when I was... After Cheek and the Wolves had been a band for a little while and played a couple of shows... Um, I remember I went on a little canoe trip with, with Eric Freight. And uh, Eric Freight and I were talking and conversing a little bit about, you know, when Endangered Youth was together and stuff like that. And I remember remember telling him, I was like, you know, being in Cheek and Wolves and, like, comparing that band to Endangered Youth, like, with, with like, relationship-wise, it's a lot better. Um, for some reason... In Cheek and the Wolves, not only did we click like 100% musically and harmoniously, but we never had any like inter-band drama. There was something about Cheek and the Wolves where we were just always happy to be with each other and happy to play with each other. Um, but for some reason in Endangered Youth, as I mentioned earlier, you know, there were always little uh, things where someone was mad at the other kind of a thing. And, and I just remember, excuse me. Oh no, sorry. Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay, and and I just I just remember really appreciating that and and just thinking to myself like, wow, I I never knew I could be in a band and actually like you know not fight with the people that I'm in a band with, you know. Yeah. So that was a lot of fun, and uh, still sitting on that definitely, album. Excuse me. Still sitting on that album. Yeah, still sitting on that album for sure. I know. I listen to that a lot, by the way. You gotta release it, man. I know we do. Fuck. <laughs> it's, been, it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a very long while. That is true. Oh, uh, for the listeners, I'll say that we, in fact, do have an album as Cheek and the Wolves. We've we been do. S- sitting on it for so long, we have yet to release it for no reason at all. <laughs> <laughs> We, I mean, there's some a, reason, a, you we, know, we, Steph's in Georgia, I'm in North Carolina, you're in Rochester, we gotta fucking get together and do the damn thing. Well, you know, uh, uh, for the listeners as well, uh, we, we did in fact get a, 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 you know, one recording deal with uh, Mike Herman. Um, yes. He uh, recorded our album for free, he, he was very interested in us, and he, he he's happy to produce it as well. 
we're just lazy. <laughs> you know what I mean, like we've been sitting on it for so long. <laughs> but it is yeah, it's, it's going to be available coming to a record store near you in 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm sure we'll get that done soon enough. Yeah, yeah. You keep dreaming, buddy. For for the listeners, uh, don't don't get your hopes up too high, but uh, <laughs> but Haley and I do plan to try to move to Rochester within the next two to five years, and nice. I cannot wait. To be honest, the South is killing me. I can. Uh, so that's I can that's all I'll that. say about that. Weird. Um, before the interview, John just came up to town. Not too long ago, and they were talking about moving. So I will, uh, I will back him on this. It is a true statement. Yeah. Well, let's get let's get back on track. Um, just, okay. just just so this interview isn't like a thousand hours long. Um, not that of I'm in a rush. I just you know I'm thinking of the listener really. Yeah. Uh, back on track. So, cheek in the wolves, and then uh, I remember one night. Specifically, um, I think it was actually coming home from a Chica and the Wolves practice. It was maybe like 2 or 3 in the morning. I think I was a little bit drunk. And uh, I was about to about to go to sleep. And uh, Steve and Adam called me up on my phone at the time. I've gone through so many fucking phones. So I don't even remember which phone it was. But, uh... They called me up, and they were like, hey, are you asleep? And I was like, no, nah, I'm up. I'm good. And then they were just like, well, what, what would you do if we told you we want to get endangered youth back together? And I just immediately, like, popped up and was super excited. And I was like, let's fucking do it. That'd be fucking awesome. Let's do it. And, like, we were all excited, like little schoolgirls. And, and then Steve was like, there's just one thing. And I was like, what? He's like, we have to convince Eric. Eric Freight, and uh, he's like, this is what we're going to do. He had, like, this big plan in his head. He's like, Eric and I have been practicing at at the uh, vineyard space for a few months now. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make him think that, that him and I are practicing like a regular old practice, but I'm going to have you and Adam come to the space, and we're just going to be like, surprise, we're having an endangered youth practice. <laughs> And so, and it and it worked. Somehow it worked, and yeah. that's that's kind of how that happened, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we we did some some shows and played some new songs, and it was cool. Yeah, we. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, we. Eric and Steve had some music they were working on, like I had said, and uh, they just taught me and and Adam all the songs, and we started playing new songs and. And it was uh, it was fun, and for for the time that it was, it was great. And then um, and then we had to break up again because Steve was going to grad school, and and he yeah, grad school started earlier than he expected it was going to start. So he was like, "I got to cancel whatever shows we have and stuff like that." And that's why we broke up the second time. Mm-hmm. For a little while, we were dabbling with the idea of having a fill-in drummer. Um, and, but, uh, all of us kind of agreed that like, you know, endangered youth is not the same without, without Steve. So we're not going to get the fill in drummer. Yeah. Now, uh, so you're living in North Carolina now. 
as as you mentioned. So how how did you end up there, and um, what are you doing now? Let's let's kind of touch on that. All right, uh, give me one second. I gotta check my phone battery real quick. All right. Okay. Um, I think I'm good. My battery's getting low, but but I'm I should be good. Uh, North Carolina. So, cheeky in the wolves. <laughs> um, Stephanie still right now resides in Georgia, but she had moved to Georgia to go to grad school, and uh, she called Eric Glendy up and called me up one day and was like, hey, you guys want to play a show in Georgia this Saturday? It was like a Wednesday. And we were just like, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And then, like, we kind of talked about it, and then we were like, all right, let's do it. So we went up, We went down to Georgia like the devil did. Word. I, I almost made that reference. Thank I, you. I thought it. Thank you. <laughs> And we played a show as Cheek and the Wolves, and it was great, uh, you know, because at that point, um, we hadn't played a show, I want to say, in maybe like six to eight months together. So it was it was fun to go and play a show again with them all. And then uh, uh, when we were done with that, when we were done with that show, we, we were driving back to Rochester, and, and Glendy um, convinced, uh, convinced us to... Us being uh, me and Kevin, our friend Kevin came along for the ride. Um, Glendy convinced Kevin and I that we should make a pit stop in in Asheville, North Carolina, because he had been there before. And he thought that we would think it's a cool place, so we did. And um, we got to Asheville uh, later than expected, so we decided to try to find like a cool bar to hang out at and ask people if there were places. To stay the night. Uh, long story short, um, my now girlfriend at the time was hanging out at this bar that we were at, and I asked her and her friends if they knew a place where we can stay. Totally and she on said a it whim. was cool. What's up? Totally on a whim. Like, I instructed you, hey, go get us a place to stay. We're drinking here tonight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I just. I saw her and her friends and just went up to them randomly and was like, hey, do you guys know of a hostel or a hotel or something that we could stay at? And uh, Haley, my girlfriend, but not yet in this story, um, was just like, hey, you guys could stay at my house. It's cool. And we were just like, okay, cool. And then we stayed at her house. And um, what's it called? Uh, We actually, so we chilled at the bar with them. And then they had, like, a party that they were going to after the bar. And we went to that party. And then uh, Haley was like, hey, me and my friend Chris here, we could get you guys a show in Asheville. And we were like, hell yeah, we want to play a show in Asheville. Oh, That'd let's be really talk cool. about this show. Let's talk about this show. Oh, my God. Let's talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it was it was booked, basically. <laughs> The show was booked, booked. <laughs> and uh, it was only Cheek and the Wolves, but it was in a mobile home, a trailer, whatever you want to call it. We were in a trailer park in the mountains of Asheville. Exactly. <laughs> and we played a show in a trailer park in the mountains of Asheville. We somehow convinced Steph to, to drive two hours to Asheville to play a show in a frickin' trailer. <laughs> <laughs> 
I've never seen so many shirtless 14-year-old trailer trash girls in my life. <laughs> oh, God. And we were, it was funny because when, uh, I mean, as per usual with Chica and the Wolves, we were pretty much trashed before we started playing. That's per um, usual. <laughs> and it was great. It was a good time. It was a lot of fun. Everyone loved it. But the cops got called two times, and it got shut down after four songs. <laughs> hey. Caleb's here. Caleb. Hey, you want to talk to John? He's on the podcast. We're on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he heard you. How you doing, Bernie? Thank you, Bernie. How are you? I'm I'm good. I'm good. I'm doing an in, getting an interview here. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> hey, Bernie. <laughs> uh, so all right. So where were we? You were you were playing the show we're in the trailer, the trailer park, park, and the cops <laughs> the cops got called and all that. Yeah, uh, Glenn, do you want to you want to expand a little bit on the show? I guess. <laughs> all right. Well, let me let me tell you, all <laughs> you all you listeners out here, <laughs> that um, um, this show we didn't know where we were playing. We just knew it was a house show, and as Rochesterians, we assumed that it was like you know uh, uh, a house and <laughs> with a basement. The basement. <laughs> <laughs> We we follow the those cool cats over there, and and we get to the trailer park. We're like, okay, all right, we'll do this. <laughs> um, uh, that was that was also uh, where we were like, we didn't stay there overnight, or did we sleep there? Uh, we stayed there for most of the night at the very least. But just yeah, take, we stayed take, there for for a good portion of the night, and then we portion, actually right. started to head back to Rochester after that. No, no, uh, no. Because we, we played the house, so we we stayed the night at Haley's house, and then um, and then I think it was like the next day she she we played that show, and then uh, okay. no, you're right, and then we stayed at Haley's house again, and then left. Yeah, um, I took yeah. a shower in the trailer. There was no water pressure. Um, <laughs> it was a very cold shower, which I'm okay with personally, but I wouldn't recommend to any of my friends. Um, it was it was an eye-opening experience, and we did play in front of a Don't Tread on Me flag, which I now own. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a uh, video of a section of this show somewhere on the internet. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll have to see if I can get that for Adam. <laughs> I do, I do in fact, keep in contact with uh, Ant-Man and Alex, who lived at, who lived there. Yeah, I, uh, I've seen, um, uh, not Alex, the other guy. Anthony? Yeah, yeah, I've seen him uh, around here and there. Okay. And I, I actually kind of live with, Robin, the really tall yeah, guy that looks Yeah, yeah, there. I remember Robin for sure. Yeah. Good, good times, great oldies. For sure. But anyway, uh, yeah. So we played that show, and then um, we headed back to Rochester, and uh, uh, Haley and I stayed in contact. And uh, um, at the time, I uh, had like just lost my job with uh, with Brandon and Justin doing the home health aid stuff, so. I was applying to some jobs in Rochester 
while working, um, uh, what's it called, while working some other jobs, just here and there type jobs to pick up extra cash to pay rent and stuff. And I wasn't really getting any any callbacks or interviews in Rochester, so I uh, decided to say fuck it and move to Asheville. Word. And that's kind of how that happened. Let me tweak that statement. (laughs) John? Okay. John fell in love with Haley while we were in Asheville. He came back, (laughs) started packing up, and then he moved to Asheville. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. You're right. That that is pretty much how it went. I mean, we we talked a little bit about that. uh... So you didn't give it. You you didn't care about your job. You're just like, nope. I moved to Asheville now. Well, I did. I did lose the job. Actually, like right when we went to Georgia. I don't know if you remember that, but that was because uh, you know Brandon needed a uh, CNA instead of a home health aide. Yeah, so uh, we, we actually, uh, well, you, you heard the episode with, with Joey and Avery. We talked about that uh, your going away party where we did a roast and uh, yeah. the highest Leviathan and uh, I Can't Stop Wondering played the basement of Rust House and that was a, a, a good time. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So now, like, kind of wrapping it up, what, what are you doing now? And uh, so, so what are you doing yeah, now? The, uh, yeah, the show and the roast, that was, that was a really, that was a really nice and fun and hilarious and sad show and roast and got really drunk and had a good time and it was amazing being with all my friends and stuff uh, I, I really enjoyed that i'm glad that you guys were a part of that yeah so what are you doing down there now and uh any uh you know if anything you want to plug um as far as if you're doing anything musically or if any of your friends are doing anything that you you know want people to check out now is the time. As far as musically, it's 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 a it's a very interesting music scene out here. Um, it's kind of like the mountain mentality, basically. A lot, of, a lot of people here in the music scene are are um, are skeptical of opening up to new people. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's been kind of hard to scratch the surface of the music scene out here. Um, I just recently helped a band called Mormon Informant uh, get recorded, uh, do a recording type deal, demo, and um, the uh, one of them, the drummer of Mormon Informant, his name is John Fulton, uh, he does booking at a bar called the Auditorium and another bar called the Burger Bar, but he also throws shows in his garage, um, I, I cannot remember the name of his his punk house. Now that I think of it, I'll I'll get that to you uh, later today. But um, since I helped his band do some recording, uh, you know, I, I asked him if it's cool to be able to book some bands and stuff. So I'm hoping to start doing that kind of stuff very soon. Um, I'm just in the process right now of of getting back into school. Um, this is my first time being in school for seven years. I'm also going to be starting a new job. Um, so I want to learn how to juggle between school and job before I get back into the booking game. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Haley just started working at a bar. It's more on the fancy side. Um, my booking there will be somewhat limited, um, but I can I can definitely see something like um, Hernonymous Boggs being able to play that type of music. Cool. 
being able to play at that type of bar. Nice. So I'll be uh, I'll be hoping to you know get some some things coming that way as well. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Well, and and obviously um, not that anyone cares. <laughs> still doing some astro philosophy, microstrand underscore thirty six stuff. <laughs> and that's a that's a kind of strange noise project, correct? Yeah, it's a strange noise project that uh, was originally Steve Paramus and Ward Yurden and I, and then it's collectively had uh, rotating members, uh, including Adam and uh, James Sanders, and I'm sure others. Yeah. I, Eric I think, this, I think this is the first time you've given away the uh, that it's not actually aliens, so this is a... Yeah, you're right. That is the very first time. You're right. This is, a, this, this is very confessional. The word's out, everyone. It's not really aliens. <laughs> I thought he was an alien. I can't believe that was James. <laughs> <laughs> um... Now, the, the one other thing before we kind of close out this interview, um, in the interview with Glendy here, yeah. we had, uh, we talked, Lake Winola was mentioned, and also <laughs> the name Bernie has been thrown out several times within this conversation. So let's... Thank uh, Bernie. B-Y-B. Who <laughs> is Bernie? Thank you, Bernie. And, and tell us about the whole Lake Winola uh event yeah so uh going all the way back to the where the where wanted to go on tour and uh originally when we first planned out the tour it was like gonna be super extensive it was gonna be fucking uh like uh every day of the week for like a whole month like we planned out this crazy tour and um for the whole year, we were collecting bottles and cans at Roberts Wesleyan College, digging through the trash and the recycling and getting bottles and cans. And uh, we did that uh, every night every night of the week. And once a week, we would go to RIT and dig through their trash and their recycling and collect bottles and cans so that we could raise money to go on this tour. Um Eventually, Ward Yearden was like, I can't do it every day. No, no, we can't do this. So he was like, we can't do the tour at all. And we were like, no, no, we have to do the tour. Like, we already agreed to this. And he was just like, all right, well, let's change it around. So we we came to the agreement of making it um, every weekend for one month. I think it was the month of July or something like that in 2008. 2007 2008 one of those years and uh so we we changed it dramatically to just every weekend in the month of july and most of the shows were in pennsylvania we had one in brooklyn uh like i said several in pennsylvania and i don't even think we had any in rochester um and i know there was like one other place i just can't remember where it was but anyway, on this tour, uh, one of our stops was the Blue Pelican in Lake Winola, Pennsylvania. And our our history would change forever at Lake Winola, Pennsylvania. Because that is where we met Francesco, the owner of the Blue Pelican. We played the show there. We, 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 we were told to stop playing after four songs, three songs, something like that. And... 
this owner of the bar, he talked like this. He was like, how you gentlemen doing? My name's Francesco. This is this is the Blue Pelican in Lake Winola, Pennsylvania. This is a very established bar. Very established bar. And <laughs> we were just asked, kind of like interviewing him and asking him questions. And Hillary Clinton's brothers drink there. Yeah, yeah. He kept name dropping his own bar. And he was just like, he was trying to like advertise his bar. He was just like, the Blue Pelican in Lake Winola, Pennsylvania. Hillary Clinton's brothers come here and drink. Every day, they're here. You, you'll see him. This is the Blue Pelican. And while he was answering some of his questions, there was just this random, I guess, obscure person um, that walked by him and handed him a, a piece of paper. I'm assuming it was a piece of paper that had some sort of note on it for him. And he took the piece of paper, he turned around, and he was like, yeah, thank you, Bernie. Thank you, Bernie. <laughs> so when Steve and I were done with this tour and decided to make a movie from this tour, from all the stuff that we recorded, when we were editing the movie, we probably heard this guy say, thank you, Bernie, 500,000 times from editing. So after a while, we started calling the movie Bernie. And we started saying, oh, we got to edit the Bernie, and we got to do the Bernie. And then we started calling each other Bernie, and then we started saying, thank you, Bernie, all the time. And it just turned into this huge fucking thing. And uh, there are a lot, of, a lot of people that are friends with us in our friend group who know and call each other Bernie. Some, some people know the story, and some people don't even know why they call each other Bernie. <laughs> but that's the whole Bernie, Bernie story. Thank you, Bernie. Thank you, Bernie. conversation with John W. Kiss. As you probably figured out, it was recorded the same day I recorded the interview with Glendy, because Glendy was still here hanging out. It was my birthday. I had a lot of fun hanging out with those guys. It was uh, a lot of fun. Now, the band that those guys, well, not the band, but the name that they were using before Sex Wax and Chica and the Wolves, that name was the Meatless Spines. If anybody cares, I'm sure nobody does, but we are talking about it. So I just wanted to let you all know that that's, that's what it is. 
Also, the name of the house venue in Asheville that they were, John said he would give you the name of is the Portageon. So, if you're uh, listening from Asheville, uh, check out shows at the Portageon. It sounds like it's a cool place. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in the show notes, I'm gonna put a a long list of the bands that were mentioned. There were a whole lot in this episode. If you're curious, check out some of those bands. Um, a lot of them are local bands from here in Rochester, or some of them from Pennsylvania. Really, I just want to promote my friends that are doing cool stuff, as I've said. So, next week, if uh, you tune in, or not tune in, but you know what I mean, I'm going to be talking to Mackenzie Harris. She's played music under the name Rose Hip, and we talk about uh, her musical history, and we talk about... Uh, some political things and just talk about what it's like to be a woman in the scene so i think it's a a really cool fun conversation and i hope you guys enjoy it and in the coming weeks i'm going to start talking to some people who are a little bit less connected to my own story i am really tired of talking about endangered youth and the meat grinder and projects that i'm connected with It seems like we've been doing a lot of that on these last couple episodes. So I'm sure we'll come back and talk to some close friends of mine again. But we're going to take a break and talk to some other people who are from other places or involved in other things. Yeah, so uh, also throughout this episode, you heard Antithesis with Cowards and Cockfights. Then you heard The Where with the Pterodactyl Ate My Homework. And then... You heard an unreleased track by Endangered Youth called Hungry for Gluttony that was live at Talavera. It's a YouTube video. You can find it if you're interested. It was one of the songs that we never actually recorded. And uh, the working title for that song, well, not even working title. We called called it this even when we were playing it a lot, was Hungry for Glendy. So uh, Glendy's been a friend and connected to that band for a long time. I think that's pretty much everything I've got to say right now. So, you know, check out the other podcast of Pennsylvania shows. Uh, like Podcast of Pennsylvania on Facebook if you haven't already. Like, so I've been told on Facebook. Uh, just, uh, you know, share the love. And uh, I'm going to kind of paraphrase Damien Abraham. He, he does this at the end of his podcast, but I just want to encourage you all that uh, this isn't that hard. You guys can be doing stuff like this, too. Um, so be creative. Start a podcast. Start a band. Uh, write a screenplay. Just do something. Do something creative. All right. Have a good day, guys. See you next week.